What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the fourth bonus edition of What Are You Talking About? This is the fourth and final bonus edition talking about the NCAA Men's College Basketball Tournament. March Madness is officially over. If you want to hear what we had to say in terms of predictions and brackets and and our review of the first four rounds, we have three bonus editions currently on iTunes. Go check those out. Uh, There's some good stuff in there. This is our last one, though. The Final Four is over. The National Championship is over. Duke is the champion. They defeated Wisconsin last night in what was a relatively close game, and I thought it was fun to watch. Chris, I know you have an opinion about it, but let's just talk about the game at first. I thought I thought it was a really good game. Kaminsky brought it, 20 points over 10 rebounds. He was definitely a force for Wisconsin that gave – Okafor and Winslow a lot of trouble uh Okafor man he doesn't play good defense I know that was a knock on him for a while but playing against Kaminsky kind of kind of showed it what what did you think yeah certainly I, I think well it's hard to talk about that without mentioning the foul trouble and just the fouls in general I thought that the game was called a little too tightly for it being a national championship game and it it irked me to see guys like Okafor and Winslow on the bench for so long dealing with foul trouble. I understand a foul's a foul, but I thought that they called a lot of ticky-tack fouls, and they weren't. I understand that Wisconsin had a lot of fouls, and and, and Duke was in the double bonus in the second half, but I think Wisconsin would trade Frank Kaminsky not being in foul trouble and have a lot of team fouls for Okafor and Winslow being in foul trouble. And yeah. what impressed me the most about Duke, not to sidestep your question about Okafor's defense, was you and I have talked the whole show in all four of these bonus editions. The one theme that kept coming up for Duke was their lack of depth after their starting five. Well, yeah. that depth certainly was tested to the extreme against Wisconsin. And you have to give Grayson Allen a huge huge shout out 16 points and that doesn't even begin to tell the tale that guy was everywhere he was hustling after every ball he was just this kid if he comes back is going to be an excellent college player he was just the epitome of an x factor not to mention i mean 16 points right there is a little more than just being an x factor but the guy did the guy kept them together when their stars were on the bench and was really the difference in the game in my mind. The other big difference in the game was Sam Decker, 0 of six from three point land. That was huge. Not that he had a bad game, he still scored twelve points, but him not connecting on the threes like he had been all tournament certainly uh, affected Wisconsin. But all that said, it was really a close game, score-wise. Both teams had a shot to win it down the stretch. Yep. But the big play was Tyus Jones's three to put Duke up eight. Once that happened, I thought the game was over, though Kaminsky came right back and hit a three yeah. and made it interesting. But I thought when Jones hit that three, it was over. Yeah, definitely. I think other than Okafor, that starring lineup of Winslow, Jones, Cook, and then Matt Jones are so are had such a good defensive game against the against Wisconsin which is a really efficient offensive team. I mean Sam Decker against UK which we're going to talk about in a little bit. He was just driving the ball against Willie Cauley-Stein and Carl Anthony Towns, two really good defenders 
two of the best def- big defenders in NCAA. He was driving it and getting these and one calls. Those just weren't there for him in this game. And credit goes to to Winslow and and to those guards for for giving them trouble and playing great team defense. That that definitely was an X factor. Sam Decker's lack of, lack of three point ability, the the fact that he could shoot the three and then drive against Kentucky was probably the game changer, and that just was non existent. And then to your point, where where was Grayson Allen for the the for the whole season, man? Like <laughs> he's a six four guard. He's a freshman. He's he he seemed faster than any of the other guards. He he picked the perfect time to come out, but I'm just surprised that we hadn't heard about him before. You know, I'm already reading articles comparing him to you know the new villain of Duke. Another reason to hate Duke just because he's so intense. So I hope he stays because uh, yeah, he's he would be really fun to watch playing and starting for Coach K. Yeah, I think he will stay. And I think Grayson Allen has been around all season long, yeah, he, but I think he hasn't gotten a lot of hype because he doesn't jump out in the box score. What he does doesn't jump out in the box score. You have to kind of watch Duke play to get a feel for what he brings. And even then, sometimes you might not notice him. He makes those the, the hustle plays, and not to sound cliche, but that is what he is. He's the guy, he's the energy guy. He comes off the bench and he just does all the dirty work. And this time around, he scored 16 points because he needed to. The, the guys were in foul trouble. Someone needed to step up, and he was the guy who did. And I, I certainly think if he comes back, you're going to hear his name a lot more because the yeah. guy can ball. There's just no way around it. But to answer your question, you talked about it with the Duke defense outside of Okafor. I could see them posing a different challenge than Kentucky. Kentucky, we talked about in the preview story, Notre Dame showed that their big guys struggle when you stretch them out. Yeah. That they struggle to guard on the perimeter. They are great interior defenders, but when you get them out on the perimeter, it's trouble. Yeah. Duke is not that way. Justice Winslow can guard inside and outside and do everything. Yeah. And I had knew that, and I think we both knew that he was going to be a nightmare for anyone who had to play him, be it, well, definitely Michigan State, but be it Kentucky or Wisconsin. And that, I when I saw Wisconsin-Duke, I knew Wisconsin wasn't going to have the same kind of things they had against Kentucky because they had a guy who could come out and guard against Decker. So that matchup was very intriguing to me, and obviously Justin Wins- Justice Winslow prevailed in holding him, for the most part, over 6 uh, three-point range. Obviously, he didn't guard yeah. him the whole game because he was in foul trouble. But, yeah, I, I agree. That was, that was really the key of the game. Or one of the biggest keys of the game was Decker just not able to be as impactful. Even though he scored 12 points, you, you felt that he didn't leave a mark on the game. Yeah, certainly. I think Duke, I, Kentucky still, even though they lost, they were definitely the most talented best team in, in NCAA. But Duke seemed to be, seems to be more athletic. And I think that all just comes from Justice Winslow being a small forward that is has always been the most athletic guy on the court, but they're able to do things on offense and on defense that no other team can do because he's anchoring the wing and guarding all those positions. So yeah, we, we give a lot of love to Winslow on all the other podcasts and and same for this one. He's, he's a game changer, not the best shooter, but he just, he finds a way to make an impact. And he did, he did last night. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, with Jaleel Okafor's defense, obviously it was a knock on him for a while. But let's also 
be real, he was guarding Frank Minsky, who just won Player of the Year by most media outlets. Tough assignment for anyone. Oh, yeah. Even, I mean, you know, you got to give Frank a lot of credit. The guy is such a versatile scorer inside, outside, upside down. It seems like he can do anything. He did the same to Kentucky. Right, and and it certainly hurt Okafor that he was in foul trouble the whole game because he couldn't be as aggressive as Kaminsky uh, or or in, in guarding Kaminsky. So that's definitely just a monumental challenge for anyone. I, I, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not making excuses for Okafor, but let's also look at who he was guarding. It's just a tall order for for anyone who has to take him on. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Frank Kaminsky does as a pro. I mean, he's seven foot, he can shoot, he can guard inside, outside. I do think he needs to bulk up just a little bit. Yeah in order to take some of the poundings in the post that he's going to be asked to do. But I certainly think, I mean, I, I think if you play him at power forward and, and make him a seven-foot kind of Dirk Nowitzki-type player, that's scary. I mean, yeah, it's the stretch big men are hard to come by in the NBA, and I certainly think he has all the tools to be a very strong player in the league. Yeah. It'll be interesting for sure, and this tournament definitely raised his profile, and that gives me concern because he's probably going to be drafted maybe 10 spots higher than he should. That means he's going to be drafted to a team that finished 10 spots lower than the team that should take him, and it's always good for a guy that needs some development to land on what is a, a decent to good team. So I do think it de- a lot of the pressure to make Kaminsky a good player falls on the team that takes him. And it just depends like what situation he lands in. But he definitely has the tools to be a really good, talented NBA player. And I, I in, really enjoyed watching him play this tournament. It's a shame that he wasn't able to to cap off the season with a win. But still, he was lights out and, and brought it every single game. No, certainly. And I also think the other two guys who are kind of blue chip prospects were on Duke and Winslow and Okafor. Okafor, arguably a number one overall pick. If you watch the tournament, you could see him offensively. He's got it all. The guy is just a beast in the post. Yep. He can score in so many different ways. And his hands are enormous. Against Michigan State, he grabbed that rebound out of midair. It was yeah. insane. Was I mean, ridiculous. the guy is a beast. Obviously, he has to work on defense. But if I want, I want a prospect who is polished offensively, you can teach effort. You can teach defense. You can't teach some of the things that Okafor naturally does. I think he's going I think he's going to be a very good pro. Yeah. And Justice Winslow is going to be an interesting one because he he could be one of those guys who looks really good in college but doesn't translate to the pros and and it would be a shame if he doesn't. I hope I'm wrong, but I remember a kid named Michael Kidd Gilchrist who he reminds me of him. He was that similar wing type lockdown college guy for Kentucky a couple years ago when they won the national title and I hope that he has a better career than Kid Grill Chris has had so far. But these wing guys sometimes are hard to project because they're playing, you know, they might be undersized or whatnot. I, I, I've watched Winslow play, and I think, how could he not have success in the NBA? He's just so athletic and such a beast. But I, you know what? It, it's tough. It, it's a tough league to transition to because, you know, if you don't have the certain prototypical measurements or whatnot – it's very easy to uh, to to not make it. Yeah. Well, don't. I mean, Kid Gilchrist actually is is making progress, and I think him and Winslow share a lot of similarities, and their glaring weakness is their jump shot. 
which is pretty much non-existent coming out of college for both of them. Kid Gilchrist is actually finally starting to find a jump shot and he's still the defender that, that we knew him. So that is a very good comparison and it's still a little unfair. I mean, he, he would be a senior in college right now. So he's only 21. He still has time to develop, but I agree with you. I hope he doesn't, I hope Winslow takes a better trajectory and, and develops a little quicker and becomes maintains that level of excitement from, from day one because I loved watching him play. He was one of one of the best players I've watched, most fun player to watch in, in a while. I, I really enjoyed playing. We haven't talked about my X Factor in this game, though. Oh. And that is Mike Krzyzewski, who just won his fifth national championship. When Bo Ryan was hired to coach Wisconsin in 2001, Coach K had already won his third national title. This dude is not only the best coach in college basketball, he's the best basketball coach we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, the the different ways he's won national titles from the dynasty in the 90s to the the, sen- the seniors leading them in, the, in 2001 and 2010 to now he's done it with the one and dones of Tyus Jones, Okafor, and Justice Winslow. He just knows how to coach. And the first half of this game... Wisconsin had two personal fouls. The second half, they had 13. I have to give some credit to poor officiating, which I think that's where we're going to go to next in the topic of this podcast, but I have to give some credit to poor officiating or questionable officiating, but another half has to be Coach K, the best coach in the game, harping on those refs, talking to those refs, and the refs have to listen to him. I mean, this is the best coach in basketball I mean, I would be swayed by Coach K, and I and I think that definitely was a factor, and I think that's what ultimately led to Duke pulling away and, and overcoming what was an eight-point deficit halfway through the second half. Well, anyone who doesn't like Duke just smiled big at what you said there because you kind of gave them fuel to the whole refs love Duke conspiracy theory. But when you look at the hey. foul disparity in the second half, how can you not, uh, you know, kind of at least think that I don't believe it but how can you not at least think it a little bit well I mean if anyone thinks that there isn't a favor to high profile athletes and coaches in terms of foul calling they're they're foolish I mean look at the NBA oh I agree with like you. Dwayne Wade won a championship because of the fouls that got called on him that wouldn't get called on anybody else like it's there it's there in college coach K that that's an advantage that they have. That's why these coaches keep winning. It's because they're building their reputation up and they're reaping the benefits of it in recruiting and winning and in getting calls for them. It's a fact. I'm sorry. No, no, I agree with you. I mean, the officiating fouls and calls are always going to be a little bit subjective. They're always going to have a little bit of the human element into them. And, and I agree, you know, Wisconsin's foul disparity in the second half was ridiculous, but at the same time, Duke had its own foul trouble, too. I mean, Okafor and Winslow were sitting on the bench for most of that second half. They did not play very much. Okafor only had 22 minutes. Winslow had 32. But, I mean, Decker and Kaminsky playing 34 and 39 minutes. I mean, that is a huge advantage for Wisconsin to have their two stars play that many more minutes than Okafor and Winslow. If you had just told me that blind going into the game, I would have said Wisconsin's going to win by 15 points. I mean, there's just no way that Duke could match up with that. And so I do think that I, 
I don't think it was officiated well. I think it was officiated way too tight on both ends. I, th- I don't. I, I want to see Okafor and Winslow play more. Yeah. And I don't want to see Wisconsin just getting piled up with all these weak sauce calls. I mean, that, you know, I think I texted you at one point. I'm like, this is unwatchable, man. Like, it's just ticky tack after ticky tack, man. This is the national championship game. Let the players play a little bit. And so, yeah, I do. I do think the officiating played a big role. In not only this game, but the the last game too, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. We would have talked about it a lot more had Wisconsin won, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that the officiating definitely had played a big role in the game, and and a lot of people on social media, you know, a lot of reputable sources on social media, uh, would agree with you as well. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Coach K deserves credit, man. Like, not not everyone could could can do what he does, and in terms of getting the calls and then inserting Grayson and Allen at, at just the right time to, to spark the team. I think this was of, of all the Duke teams that he's coached one of his best coaching jobs, this tournament. Oh, certainly coach K is the best coach in college basketball by far. Best coach in basketball is tough because while he had success in the Olympics, it's hard for me to say that he trumps Popovich in the sense that Popovich is doing it in the NBA but I do think Coach K would have success in the NBA. Obviously, you have to be on the right franchise, but I think he could coach in the NBA. I certainly think he could make it in the NBA. He's not going to the NBA at this point in his career. He has the taste of the pros with the Olympics and the college games, so he's got a nice gig, but I think he could make it in the NBA. I do too. I think, especially at this point, he's so well-respected by any basketball player that he might be the first coach that would be able to recruit a team single-handedly to play for him. I mean, he's beloved by any American basketball player at this point. I mean, if you're the Lakers or the Knicks right now, you would love to have him coming into this super cap era. You'd be like, he just, you thought Pat Riley recruited a big three coach K recruit a big six. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, he could recruit just out of his school's alumni and have a really good team and then factor in the, the FIBA championships and the Olympic teams that he's coached. Yeah. There's, there'd be definitely be some guys that would, you know, walk over to, to play for coach K in the NBA, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. He's, he's an institution at Duke at this point and he's, he's getting old. I mean, people, people don't realize that he pretty much built Duke up. Duke only has five titles and coach K has them all. Yeah, I mean, it took him 11 years to get to his first national championship. He was the Duke coach in 1980, which is an insanely long time. Yeah, I mean, how many institutions has that kind of patience for a guy? I don't think expectations were at high in Duke back then. No. But but still, I mean, well, his successor, 11 years is a long time. His successor isn't going to get that, that much time. <laughs> Oh, certainly not. His successor is going to have to be what John Calipari was in Kentucky. He's turned that into a monstrous job. I mean, yeah. there is no patience at Duke anymore. No, no, sir. But the national championship, aside from the officiating, had its little bit of controversy in before Tyus Jones hit that huge three to go up eight. I believe the ball, there was that call on the out-of-bounds play that went off Justice Winslow's fingertip by the hair of his fingertip. But I thought it was clear enough that it should have been overturned and it should have been Wisconsin's ball. What did you think about that play? Oh, I agree with you. I mean, when they – so in the replay slow motion, 
it looked like it went off the Wisconsin player. But when they zoomed it in on that slow motion, they zoomed in the frame, clearly it went off Justice Winslow's fingertips. And I don't understand how the, do the refs not, I, my understanding was that the refs get the feed that we see. Like the same things that we're watching, the refs are watching that as well. So I don't understand how they can miss that. And it gives me pause to question some, like we're going to talk about things, that, a couple of things that were reviewed in the Kentucky game. I, I don't know if they're seeing the same things that we're seeing because that seemed pretty clear to me. And that's definitely a game changer. I think that is a, is a really big game changer. I actually don't think they get the same feeds as we do. I think they have a. I don't think they can see all the things CBS can do to the film. Okay, well that would explain it, but it, then that leads me to question: Why can't they? Yeah, no, that that's another legitimate question. But I, I'm pretty sure they don't, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why when 20 million people or however many people viewed that telecast can see something clearly, the refs can't get the same advantages. It just makes no sense to me. It just doesn't make any... I don't understand why we can't employ every resource available to get these games of this magnitude as correct as possible. Yeah, I, the technology is there to implement it. You can add more cameras, better cameras. You could have a guy sitting in a booth doing the reviews like some other sports do so that you're not influenced by malfunctions in streaming or crowd noise or anything like that. It, it, it all, every sport at this point, there should be very little room for error when you're reviewing a play. It should be almost non-existent yeah. at this point, especially in a basketball arena that isn't influenced by elements. You could have cameras everywhere, man. And you could, you could really, I mean, you could you could clean it up, and and we wouldn't be debating that call. It could be a, a very different game. Yeah, and let's just finally talk about the one that I'm most mad about. I don't understand how an obvious no field goal against Kentucky, Wisconsin clearly scored with the shot clock at zero. The goal was counted, but the refs couldn't review it because it was outside of two minutes. Why? Why can't all scoring plays be reviewed? I don't understand that rule. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I alluded to a guy sitting in a booth watching. Maybe he could buzz them, you know, and say, hey, you guys need to look at this now instead of leaving it up to subjective decision making there on the court. And in that case, yeah, it w- that was the shot that tied the game 60 all, I think. Yeah, it was at 60. They tied the game at 60 with about 2 minutes and 13 seconds left. So it was just outside the 2-minute marks. Had that play occurred 13 seconds later, it would have been reviewed. It would have been fine. And who knows what would have happened. I mean, Kentucky would have had a 2-point lead going down the stretch. Would have changed a lot. My personal view is I think Kentucky, that could have been enough to win it for them because they had a 3-point deficit with 12 seconds left. Obviously, the game doesn't play out the same way if you change something that big. But I don't know. I, I think that would have been enough to swing it for him. I really do. I think that that call could have destroyed a perfect season. Yeah, I. it's a shame that the, the perfect season ended in that way. But my argument is you had two minutes and 13 seconds. You're the best team that we've seen in 
I don't know, since what SMU in the early nineties, you should still be able to win. UNLV. UNLV, sorry, not SMU. Um, you should still be able to find a way to win. I mean, it's only a tie game. Like you still get the ball. You could go down and, and put your team back up. Wisconsin outplayed them in those final two minutes. No, I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't have their chance to win. And ultimately, you're right. I mean, you still have two minutes left. And the way I view it is, you know, you got to just play on. But at the same time, it does irk me that at the a game of this level, the final four allowed a bucket to be scored that shouldn't have counted. Yeah. I mean, just I feel like there would be more outcry about this if Kentucky had won and had the aid of a bucket that didn't count. I feel like people would care a lot more about this if Kentucky had benefited from it. And I think the fact that a lot of people wanted Kentucky to lose, they're willing to overlook just how they lost. Certainly, the game was won on the floor. But at the same time, it was a little cheapened for me in the sense that a team benefited from two free points. Yeah. To put this in perspective, I just want to make one more point here. After the Notre Dame game, there was a guy who took a video Okay, to, to put some context here, Notre Dame, uh, Kentucky was awarded a field goal erroneously in the Notre Dame game. But at the commercial break, it was corrected. I think it was only the telecast that did it too. But either way, the this guy, he edited a video to show that Kentucky's field goal didn't go in, but they scored it. And then he posed the question, did Kentucky get a fake field goal? And then he got destroyed in the comment thread by saying, yeah, re- keep watching. They corrected it. And everyone called him out on it. But if someone's willing to go to that great of lengths just to tear down Kentucky, imagine what someone would do if Kentucky had won the way Wisconsin did with that extra bucket that shouldn't have counted. It would be Armageddon. It would be Armageddon. And people would be caring about this issue way more than they do. And I just don't understand why people don't see the problem with a team getting two free points. It, to me, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's some Kentucky bias, but I think a lot of people see kind of karma evening out with the Trey Lyles no call, which was a, where he slapped Josh Gasser in the face about three minutes before the no call on the shot clock. And they reviewed that, and they said no call, even though he clearly just slapped him in the face. That should have been a flagrant foul, at least maybe a flagrant two. I don't think it should have been a flagrant two. I think it should have been a flagrant one. I don't think it was a malicious move. I think it they were still making a play. That if I remember correctly, they were both in the air. No, they. I mean, they were in a box out position. The ball bounced off the rim and was nowhere near either of them. And they were kind of tangled up, and he just threw his arm from what was like waist level all the way up to his face. Like I don't think there's any real argument for quint or incidental contact. I think what happened was they they watched it so many times in slow motion they forgot to view it in real time. No, no. The thing is, I'm not I'm not saying it wasn't incidental contact. I, I'm saying it wasn't malicious contact. For flagrant oh, two, yeah. you have to actually have a malicious intent. 
I certainly think it was a flagrant one, but flagrant two with the ejection, I don't think it's that far. Okay, yeah. But, but yeah, I think Wisconsin should have gotten two in possession, but there's a big difference between putting a team in a position to score and giving a team two free points. I yeah. understand Wisconsin's a good free throw shooting team, but there's no guarantee that they hit both free throws. There's also no guarantee that they score on the possession. I, I think I don't think it's just karma evening out because I think calls like that don't get called for both teams. Maybe not a flagrant, but I certainly think that there were things Wisconsin did throughout the course of the game that they got away with that could have influenced the game had they would have been called either by putting kids in foul trouble, giving Kentucky momentum, whatever. I think enough of those occur throughout the game that they even out themselves, but none of them result in an erroneous field goal. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but that was they reviewed it. You know, they stopped play and they reviewed it and consensus was that's a flagrant foul and they said no call. And Sam Ga- John Josh Gasser is a eighty two percent free throw shooter. I I I will give you the benefit of the doubt, say he just splits it, then they get the ball in the half court. Instead, what happened was they inbounded the ball, and I think Collie Stein quickly stole the ball away. It was basically a no possession for them. That I mean, I'm a firm believer in if anything different happens, then you have a completely different game for the rest of the way. I, I, I agree with you there. You cannot change one thing and assume everything plays out the same, which is why I said even if Kentucky – even if they didn't get the extra field goal and it was six, it was still a two point game, sixty to fifty eight. Everything we know about the last two thirteen doesn't matter. Like the fact that Kentucky had the ball with a three point deficit with twelve seconds left. Who knows what the scenario would have wound up being if you change it from sixty sixty to sixty fifty eight. So I agree with you there. You cannot make definitive claims based when you change something of that magnitude, be it the flagrant. Or the erroneous field goal. Me personally, I believe that if Kentucky had those two extra points, I think that would have been enough to win the game for them because it was that close of a game. But I don't know for sure. I can't say for sure. Wisconsin definitely still could have won the game. Yeah. And I said this earlier, but it's it's a shame it came down to this because Wisconsin, without that field goal, certainly could have beat Kentucky and Kentucky still with that field goal could have beat Wisconsin. Like the game was that close that we didn't need this, this call to happen. Right. And, but that, and see, that's, that's the biggest problem for it. I feel bad for both teams because I feel like it just cheapens it and it's not the player's fault to me. Like I just, I just don't understand how an error of that magnitude can occur on the stage of this magnitude with all the technology we have with 20 to 22, whatever the rating was. I think it was 22 million people watched that game and every single person knew that it was a flagrant one. Every single person knew that it was a uh, field goal. Now, they didn't review the field goal. They weren't allowed to. The flagrant one, they just goofed that up. But why aren't they allowed to review a field goal just because it's outside of two minutes? Why aren't all scoring plays able to be reviewed when 22 million people and everyone in the arena knew that it shouldn't have counted? The only three people who can do anything about it can't watch the tape. It just it makes no sense. Yeah, I agree with you on that part for sure. It needs to be changed. But the game itself, man, Kaminsky again. 20 points, 10 rebounds. He made Collie Stein and Towns look a little foolish, and so did Sam Decker. 
Well, yeah, and we talked about this earlier, and I think we talked we talked about it in the preview how they were going to pose problems for them because Carly Stein and uh, Anthony Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Carly Stein, excuse me, I got the hyphens confused there for a minute, are great interior defenders, but Decker and Kaminsky make you guard them on the wing. And you saw that neither of them were really able to do it. They elected to go Cully Stein on the wing and have uh, Anthony Towns play inside. Still didn't really work as... I mean, one of them was going to have a big mismatch in Decker. And and Kaminsky, too. I mean, Kaminsky can go outside. Anytime they were on the wing, they were just at such a disadvantage against those guys. And it showed throughout the game. I mean, you saw it with Notre Dame. The spacing really caused them problems. But Notre Dame didn't have the size all across the board to take advantage of it. Wisconsin had the size to take advantage of it a little bit better than Notre Dame could, and you saw it play out in the semifinals. Yeah, definitely. Kaminsky would take the ball at the key just inside the three-point line and post him up from there, like past the free-throw line, and three steps, he's under the basket and got a layup. He has one of the most bizarre little spin-move combos that I've seen, and... It gave those two guys a lot of trouble. Two of the best defenders in all of basketball. <laughs> it's kind of funny seeing him him defeat them that way. Oh yeah, and I mean, but but I also think that Carl uh, Anthony Towns was taking Kaminsky to town in the post whenever they posted him up down low, and I thought yeah. they should have done it a little more. They went away from. I that. don't think Kaminsky. Yeah, Kaminsky couldn't handle him when he posted him up, and I don't know why they didn't go to that more. No, I totally agree. I think they they started that way, but they they definitely didn't finish the game doing that, and that kind of played to Wisconsin's favor. And another big difference at the free throw line, 18 of 22 for Wisconsin, 9 of 10 for Kentucky. Not going to win many games when an opponent shoots nine and makes nine more free throws than you. Yeah, definitely. Decker had a couple and ones as well. Oh, certainly. Decker played great. I mean, he was only 2 or 3 for 3, but he was 6 and 9 from the field, 16 points. And again, he was just, his presence on the wing, just drawing those defenders out with Kaminsky, it just made things so much easier for everyone. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you know, Wisconsin had a great game plan, and they certainly could have beaten them without the aid of any sort of uh, two-point field goal. I Again, I don't want to drum this up again, but it's just a shame that it had to happen that way because it shouldn't have happened that way with all the technology we have why does the final four have to have such a glaring i mean really it's a basic error i mean yeah counting a field goal that shouldn't have counted should not happen in at this level of tournament yeah for sure i agree with you so let me ask you do you what if kentucky played duke who would have won i honestly don't know i think both of them could have won I certainly think both of them could have won. I, I actually think Duke would have won. I do too. When, when I think about it. Because I think Winslow would have posed a lot of problems for Kentucky. You saw Cully Stein and Anthony Towns. I keep calling him Anthony. It's just Towns. Cully Stein and Towns get exposed a little bit against Notre Dame and Wisconsin. Guys with those uh, offensive players who can take them out of the post a little bit. I think Winslow could do that too. Just in different ways. Okafor versus Towns would have been a phenomenal matchup, and I wish I would have seen it because those two guys are so polished offensively. Would have been great, but yeah, I don't know. I think I would. I, I I think Duke still would have won, but we'll never know. If Kentucky gets by Wisconsin, they certainly could have beaten Duke. Yeah, I think all three of those teams could easily have been the champion 
but I, I would have put my money on Duke if I had to. I think they it, – it's weird saying it, but I think they they were more athletic than what Kentucky is. Hey, it's like I said last week in our preview podcast. As long as Duke beats Michigan State, we're going to get two good games, and we got two good close games. And Michigan State showed that they were – the clear underdog in that 20-point beatdown. But still, shout-out to them for getting that far. Everything we said would go wrong went wrong. Their free-throw shooting, their big guys getting in foul trouble, Duke being able to do what they can do, only better. It was clear that they were overmatched. But, hey, you know what? Props to Tom Izzo, props to Michigan State for showing once again why Tom Izzo is one of the best coaches in college basketball. Yeah, definitely. It was a good run, but they ran into the eventual champion and and they got beat, as we said. Joe Lenardi already has a bracketology out for next year. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he's got he's got one through six. He's got the field of sixty eight projected right now. <laughs> I'd like to see him stay true to that in a year. Someone should do a screenshot of it. They, I mean, uh. A few weeks ago, Chad Ford got in trouble because he was making, he puts out a mock draft and he's been retroactively changing his mock drafts to reflect the, who, who is playing better in real time. Like he's, he elevated Giannis farther up than what he had him ranked in his mock draft. So like he would release a mock draft on like March 3rd. And then on March 10th, changed the March 3rd, March 3rd mock draft? No, so he would release a mock draft in like 2012, the 2012 mock draft that he was sticking by. Now, in this year, in 2015, he's going back and adjusting his mock draft to make himself look better. Wow. And it's not, it. I, I say Chad Ford, but it's Chad Ford's mock draft that is being changed. It could be ESPN, it could be somebody, but it's right. it's been happening. <laughs> He got called out. Right, on it, it certainly it certainly may not actually be Chad Ford, but that's bad. Whoever's doing that, yeah, I think they stopped. That's not cool. And in this day and age, you can't get away with anything. Like Deadspin, I feel like just has someone printing screens of everything ESPN said, just so they can write an article about someone contradicting themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you can't get away with any of that. All right, all right. So, who do you think will be the best NBA pro of the guys who played in the Final Four this weekend? Just of the four teams that we saw this weekend. Uh, I think Okafor, just because of the offensive package that he brings. I I said that he's a terrible defender, and I'm standing by it. But you you don't see a a, a center come into the league at 19 with the arsenal of offensive moves that he has. Um. More often than not, you see a center come in with the package that Cauley Stein has or Towns have, which is really athletic, really good defense, but the post game's lacking. And, you know, look, I think the the nightmare scenario, which isn't too bad, is Dwight Howard, who we're still waiting to develop a post game. Whereas Okafor, you can adjust for his defense and his offense is going to skyrocket in what is an offensive league. So, yeah, I'm sticking with Okafor. Well, first off, if Dwight Howard's your nightmare scenario, that's a pretty good nightmare. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's not a nightmare, but 
we've been waiting on him to, to have an offensive pl- game for, I don't know, five years now. Five? He's, he's been in since 04, man. Well, I mean, like, he's elevated to this. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand. But he can dunk, though. That's his offensive game. He can dunk. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think Okafor is the best. I think he will have the best career because I think he has, like you said, he has such an arsenal of post moves. You can teach defense a lot easier than you can teach offense. I think he's going to come right now. I think he's going to be the number one overall pick. And just think about this nightmare scenario. What if he goes to Minnesota, paired up with Andrew Wiggins? What if the Lakers win the number one overall pick and he's paired up with Kobe Bryant and they all, they also have Julius Randle there? That would be interesting if the Lakers get the number one pick because Julius Randle plays uh, center, I do believe. And He's a power forward. A power forward. Well, yeah, so he could play off of uh, Okafor. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, pretty good. there's some intriguing teams at, at the top of the draft. I mean, just think about this. The 76ers could have the number one pick. And are they going to take a center? You know, <laughs> it'll be interesting. Right, they have, they've got two, Embiid and Noel. Noel's tearing it up this year. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. This is a good draft and some good, talented teams. I mean, the Wiggins-Center combination would be nice and – I fear for the youth that get drafted to go play with Kobe, but it's always always fun to see Kobe tear into somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they won't have to deal with Kobe much longer. I think he's only got one more year left or so. Yeah, I agree. All right, man, final thoughts on March Madness. Uh, Well, Kentucky didn't didn't do it. I think that's the, the main storyline. They, they didn't go undefeated. And then I, it was pretty – it ended pretty whitewash, you know, with the controversy and with three number one seeds vying for that national championship. But the beginning was, was awesome. It's it's why it's March Madness. And Kentucky losing, again, is why it's March Madness. I think it overall was a great tournament. It ended a little weak just because of the officiating, but uh, a great tournament and a lot of history was made for sure. Yeah, the ending was a little weak, but two thoughts in my mind. The Elite Eight was amazing. That's still one of my favorite rounds this year. I just thought the slate of games were awesome, and they were all very well played. And Coach K, man, he is worth a grand because he gets his thousandth win, and then he wins the national title. So this guy is just living on uh, cloud nine right now. He's cementing himself as the best coach in college basketball arguably the best college coach of all time. How can you argue with the all-time wins leader? Only one to a thousand wins, five national titles. The the guy is phenomenal. And all I can say is I hope that nothing bad comes out about him, that he doesn't have to vacate half of those wins and he doesn't get torn down. Can one person escape this thing clean for, for crying out loud? Like really, I just don't want it to happen. Yeah. I, I know there are a lot of Duke haters out there, but I really just hope that for once someone is doing something great and without any sort of anything tarnishing it, that he's actually doing it legitimately. So Coach K, please be clean and please just keep doing doing what you're doing and winning because I, I like Duke. I got nothing against Duke. And it's fun to see him coach and fun to see them play. Certainly, yeah. I'm definitely happy for Coach K. So, but yeah, these bonus editions were great. We hope you enjoyed them too. 
talked a ton about March Madness. Hopefully, we'll do this again next year. We're probably going to be working on some more bonus content for you guys in the future. But, yeah, this was fun. Thank you for your support once again. Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Visit our website, FenleyRoadSports.com. We got the Power 10. We got our blogs. We got, of course, the podcast. And subscribe via iTunes. We always appreciate your support. We're glad that you guys are listening. Please come back next week because the NBA is uh, revving up. NFL drafts right around the corner. The Masters. A lot to talk about, as usual, in the world of sports. But for now, we're going to have to say goodbye. So, Bob, it was great doing this again, and uh, talk to you next week. All right. See you, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy.